If my parents came to the door of my room to check in on me, the timbers of their voices would linger in the room for hours afterward, and their spoken consonants and vowels would continue murmuring in the moldings and corners of the ceiling, flitting from place to place on the walls like butterflies. During my fever, the normal order of my perceptions was disrupted. A pain would announce itself in the muscle between my thumb and forefinger, and I would become focused on it at the expense of everything else. My throat would begin to feel like an enormous, scratchy cave filled with woolen haystacks and would occupy my consciousness with a strange fierceness. Orderly thoughts would lie dormant down in my pinched, vaguely sickened stomach, like dead animals at the bottom of a well. During the period of my flu, everything outside me was remote, and I was oblivious to the external world. After a few days of this isolation— My eyes stopped hurting, the ants stopped crawling inside my head, I regained my interest in being read to by my brother, and I was seized with an appetite for lamb chops with mashed potatoes and green beans. While I stayed in bed recuperating, my parents had gone ahead with their plans for an adult party, which meant that the sounds of sophisticated voices, boisterous laughter, and clinking glasses wafted to my room from down the hall. During the party, my mother came to look in on me. I could hear her footsteps, and the rustling sound her shoulderless red dress made as it grew louder and louder, changing to a sharper, higher pitch in the narrow hallway leading to my room. She gave me a bowl of applesauce with aspirin and sugar crushed in it, which was the way I took pills at that age. While I was eating this, she told me that, sadly, two days earlier, sawdust had died. I looked over the foot of my bed and saw that sawdust's cage was gone. After my mother left the room, I couldn't stop crying. I cried off and on for many hours, picturing Sawdust's little feet scurrying on the metal wheel and his eager sucking on the water spout in the cage. There was an intensity to my sadness that went beyond grief over Sawdust. My pet's sudden death released a torrent of tears that had been stored within some swollen balloon inside me, and it was as if I was crying, with all the self-pity of childhood, not only about sawdust, but about all the griefs and sad surprises I had already experienced. I guess this just confirms once again that emotions are essentially physical forces, and if they seem to express themselves at the strangest moments, it is because, like physical forces, they must sooner or later emerge and will eventually succeed in finding a vulnerable link in the chain of your defenses. If the flood tide is dammed up, it will break into a million little rivulets, each seeking egress, and once an opening is found, all the waters will pour through it. You hold your tongue when your wife or husband does something unforgivable, and then, at a trivial moment, when your resistance is low, some tiny infraction, forgetting to pay a bill or to remove the trash or to telephone the child's school, causes your anger to burst and you find yourself delivering one of those global ad hominem attacks. You have never for a moment thought of anyone but yourself that you later regret. In the same way, I cried over Sawdust's death in a way I had never cried about my sister and had never even known I wanted to. Sometimes I wonder if Mary feels sick all the time or feels that everything outside her is happening across an immense gulf. No, I remind myself, obviously, 
One would need to be in a position to compare this state of mind to something else to experience it as sickness or as peculiar. But surely she must experience pain and suffering, because her way of communicating is so rarely understood. Books tell me that people with Mary's difficulties may be blind to other minds, that they may suffer from mind blindness. While most people, no matter how egocentric, instinctively know that other people have their own independent thoughts and independent experiences, and most people eventually come to see themselves in a context of socially ever-widening concentric circles, with the experiences of the people they encounter in the foreground, and beyond them, the experiences of whole societies, historical periods, and mankind generally. From Mary, at least according to some experts, life isn't like that. She needs others, sees them, and takes delight in them. But they exist only as they are in relation to herself.